Go ahead and open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to that passage, James chapter 2. We're going to pick it up in verse 21. You know, there was a, uh, an article published online this week by the very prestigious um, news organization called the Babylon Bee. And I want to put the article uh, headline up on the screen if we can. Confirmed, faith without works, incredibly relaxing. <laughs> Here's a quote from the article. After spending several years wallowing in sin and not bothering to allow the Holy Spirit to change his life in any way, local Christian man Nathan Peterson confirmed his findings on Wednesday. Having faith without works is, in fact, incredibly relaxing. Peterson pointed out that faith without works allows for a much easier life. Quote, if I allowed my saving faith to be shown through my works, I'd have to be like a lot more disciplined like a disciple or something. (laughs) The man has also torn the book of James out of his Bible as he found it offensive and problematic. Yeah, he said, James was really harshing my mellow. All that stuff about faith and works being dead was a total bummer. Now, we laugh because it's a caricature but it's a caricature of us. Like, it's a caricature of me. It's a caricature of you. There's a part of us that would say, man, uh, that's kind of what I really want. You know, if I can have the promises of God and assurance of my salvation and stay on the couch, that's as good as it gets. You know, we all have a little inner Nathan Peterson in us. And as I was thinking about that, I was like, you know, why is that? Like, what's that pull inside of us? And you're like, well, we're just lazy or we're just selfish. And, you know, I, I don't know that, I think there's more to that more to it than that. Uh, I think what that illustrates, the fact that we can all kind of identify a bit with this guy, it illustrates that there's something unconnected in us. We we would say it deep down in our heart between the various parts of us. In other words, we know things that we don't always live. We we, We don't desire things that we always should. Sometimes our emotions aren't connected to our theology, so to speak. So our thoughts, our emotions, our desires, our choices are unintegrated. They're disconnected. And if we honestly fully understood God's best for us, I think that attitude in us to be like this guy would sort of be chased out. We'd say, no, no, no. It's it's not about trying to have my cake and eat it too. It's like, this is the life that God has given that's fullness. And I want to be as full in myself into the fullness of life as I possibly can, because this is what God desires for me. Now, the book of James has introduced this tension to us for good reason. And I want to say it this way. What you're going to hear preached literally every Sunday here, literally every Sunday, is that your salvation is not based on your own righteousness. Your salvation is based on the righteousness of Christ, which you receive by faith. We're going to teach that every week because the whole Bible points to that. And so you get to this text and James is like, well, yes, but faith without works is dead. Like, ay, ay, ay. You know, what do we, what do we do with this tension? So here's what we're not going to do, men and women. We're not going to tear the book of James out of our Bibles, literally nor figuratively by not teaching it. But 
by not digging into it. In fact, in the 20-year history of this church, this is the second time we've gone through this James series, which you know, 20 years is a long time, but, but we wanted to make sure this gets highlighted alongside Paul's writings, alongside the Gospels, alongside the Old Testament books. It's an important part of our scripture, but how do we make them all fit together? Well, the good news is you don't have to force it they do fit together. It's just a matter of understanding what James is saying and how that harmonizes with what Paul is saying in, in the Gospels as well. So throughout two chapters of the book, here's what Lloyd and I have been saying over and over again. This is James' message. You can't actually separate genuine faith from works. You actually can't separate them. If the faith is real, you can't separate out the works from the faith. And, and that's where this analogy has come in, this coin analogy, which you know, we've been talking about since week one. Just as this coin has two sides, there's a head side that says, in God we trust, which represents the faith part. Then there's a tails side or a back side, which represents the work. You can't remove either side of this coin and it still be a coin. Like, I don't even know what a one-sided coin would be. And I'm not talking about just scratching off the engravings. I'm, I'm talking about if there wasn't a second side to a coin, what would it be? I, I don't even know. That doesn't even make sense in my mind. And James is saying, that's actually how faith is. You can't actually separate them out and still have faith. And so today is actually the second of a two-part series in this text. And last week, Lloyd covered the you know, 14, verse 14 to verse 20, but the stream of thought continues in our text today, 21 through 26. And last week, if you were here, you know, not only did you get an envelope, but you got the key to understanding this text. And if you're here today, you're gonna get it as well because I'm gonna restate it. Here's what Lloyd said. The contrast in James' argument is not between works and faith, the contrast is between real faith and false faith. And that's really helpful for you to understand that. In other words, James is not pitting, you got works and you got faith and works wins. Like that's not where he's going. He's never pitting the two against each other. In fact, he's always combining the two. He's always putting the two together. Faith and works are two sides of a coin is what he's essentially saying. But what he is pitting against each other, what he is contrasting is genuine faith and false faith. Real faith and name-only faith. Now, if that's true, why does he emphasize works so much? Interesting question. Well, he's saying, listen, if you want to know if your faith is true, if your faith is genuine, look at your life. Look at how it expresses itself. Your life, this is an interesting thought, your life is a picture of what you believe. You can't help it. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. If you believe that like the, the, the real fullness of life for you is in a career or a hobby or in a relationship or in a dream, you're going to pursue that. You can't help it. Wherever you think life for you is ultimately found, that's, you're gonna be drawn to it like a moth is drawn to a light. You can't even help it. A Christian would say, I believe life is in Jesus and life is in following Jesus and death is in being apart from Jesus. That's what a Christian would say. And if you actually believe that, you can't help it. It doesn't mean you follow him perfectly, but you're gonna be drawn 
to him. You're gonna be drawn to the path that he has for you. You're gonna be drawn to his words, even. Now, this is heavy on us because none of us are perfect. And James is gonna say in the very next text we're gonna get to next week, chapter three, verse two, all stumble in many ways. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect, but are there signs of life in you? Can you do your works point to a faith that's genuine? That's the text, and it's heavy. There's no doubt about it. All right, here's where we're gonna go this morning, a shortened sermon, because I wanna leave some time to hear some of your stories. And I know some of you are nervous. If you feel nervous about that, probably means that you need to talk. Like, it means that the guy's like prompting you. He's like, God, please no. It's like, yes. You know, so just wrestle through that. You won't hear anything I say for the next 15 minutes because you'll be wrestling, and that's okay. Because what, what, listen, here's what's true. What this congregation is gonna remember about today is not my sermon. They'll remember the stories. They'll remember your story. They'll remember those of you that were courageous enough to come down here and share. So to really be thinking about that, I'm, I'm serious. Okay, here's what we're gonna do. Um, short text, two stories, one Abraham, two Rahab. They illustrate the same thing. They're a picture of faith flowing out of somebody. Genuine belief expressing itself through works. Okay, so we're gonna, it's, it's show and tell with these stories. Verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? Now, in the, the, the Greek grammar, it's expressed in a way that's like assuming a yes answer. It's like, isn't this true? Like, was not? And, and, they're like, they, and the audience has to say, well, well, I guess so, but I never thought about it that way. And let me unpack this a little bit. To a Jewish audience, um, appealing to Abraham was like, um, for us Americans, talking about George Washington. Okay, but way weightier. Much more weightier. So, uh, as you know, Abraham was the father of the nation. So before there was an Israel, it was just Abraham and his wife, Sarah. And God said, listen, you're going to have a family. That family's going to grow. And that family's going to grow so big, it's going to become a nation. But here are old Abraham, old Sarah, too old to conceive, too old to have children, no children. What's going to happen? How's God going to show up? Isaac comes along, a miracle baby. Oh, they said, this is how God's gonna birth the nation, through Isaac. It's happened. Then one day, God says this to Abraham and it changes the whole game. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. What? What? Every time I read that, I, I, I just almost get like this, like this visceral like response. God, What? makes no sense at all. But Abraham did it because he was sure he heard from God. And so, you know, m many of you know the story. Like he, he takes Isaac, they go up to the mountain. Isaac's walking up the mountain. He's like, I, I see the, 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 the fire. I, I see the wood, but, but where's the lamb? And Abraham, in his faith, says, God will provide and, and we learn later in Hebrews that what was going on in Abraham's mind was Abraham's like, God's gonna provide. And, and even if that means resurrecting my son, God's gonna provide. You see, that was Abraham's faith. And of course, God spared Isaac right at the moment where Abraham lifts the, the knife. God spares Isaac, provides a ram in the bushes. And, and here's the point of this. The nation was built not so much through Abraham's son, but through Abraham's faith. So all of Israel knew this story, okay? This Abraham story became the Abraham story. 
It's kind of like for us with George Washington, it's like the moment, you know, Washington crossing the Delaware. You know, you can see him in that boat, you know, whatever. That, that's this moment. It was this defining, iconic moment in the identity, both the spiritual and ethnic and, and national identity of these people. And so James then takes it a different direction. And, and I say all this just to, to make this point. The Hebrew people have always seen that as an example of faith. James here uses it as an example of works. That's literally what, what he says in this text. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? And they're like, well, wait a second. I thought that was faith. And he's going to say yes. And now, Here's what James is essentially getting after. Of course, this was a great moment of faith for Abraham. But the reason we talk about Abraham's faith was because it showed up. And it showed up through his works. How else would we have known he had the faith to do it if he hadn't gone through with it? Like, that was the evidence. That's the other side of his faith was the evidence of it. It showed up. So then, now you'll understand the argument in verse 22. Look at it. You see that faith was working with his works. There it is. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. We'll come back to that idea in a second. Verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, quote, and Abraham believed God, faith, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. So you see, James actually does believe in righteousness that comes through faith, just not the kind of faith that's separated from works. See, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, but this whole example is a picture of faith and works working together. That's why verse 22 is so important in the entire book of James. Let's talk about the idea of perfected really quick. It doesn't mean Abraham's faith was perfect. Faith being perfected could also be translated faith being completed. So we talked about this word before. In, in the New Testament and Old Testament, when you see the word perfect, it doesn't mean typically moral flawlessness. It means wholeness and completion. So here's what he's saying. He's saying the purpose of faith is to be expressed. The purpose of faith is to be lived out. And so when he lived out his faith, his faith was completed in the sense that it found its purpose. It was expressed. So think about an arrow. An arrow is designed, manufactured for the sole purpose of going through the air and hitting a target. That's the purpose of an arrow. It's not meant to just be displayed on a wall. It's meant to be shot through the air and find its target. When the arrow finds its target, the arrow's been completed. Like it's, it's purpose has been fulfilled. That's the idea behind this. So here's what he's saying about Abraham's faith. It was completed by his choice to obey God. Not that it was a perfect faith, but it was an expressed faith. That's the idea. Now here's what this means for us. Here's what this means for you and me. True faith doesn't just stay in your head. It, it just can't. Like, You've got faith in something and your life will tell you what your faith is actually in. I'm talking less about your intellectual theology and more about your functional trust, your functional faith. What's your faith in? Like, what are you pursuing for life? True faith, that Jesus is the source of life, won't just stay in your head. 
right? It's gonna engage all of you. That's its purpose. That's where it's gonna find its mark, by engaging all of you. Your head, yes. Also your desires, your emotions, and it will finally express itself through your choices, your actions. You see all how all this fits together? Doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means there's some signs of life. Then we get to verse 24, which is a problematic verse for a lot of people. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, the the reason that this verse is problematic for a lot of people is they just pull it out of the context that it's in. You have to connect it to what he just said. Faith and works together, and God declared Abraham righteous through his belief as his belief was shown to be true. Now, God knew all along it was true but it was expressed as true. So he was justified by the expression of his faith, which is called works and not by faith alone. There's two key words in this uh, verse that'll help you with some of you feeling the tension around it right now. The first one is alone, alone. He doesn't say you're justified by works and not by faith. He's saying you're justified by works, not by some kind of so-called faith that's alone like some kind of one-sided coin. That's never going to justify you. How do you know you're going to be justified? Genuine faith. You're going to know that it's genuine because it's expressed through works. Now, the second key word is the word justified. Most of you, when you hear that word, if you have any kind of like church background, uh, you're going to think, oh, that justified, that's a spiritual word. That means the moment that my sins are forgiven and I'm made right with God. And the way Paul uses the word justified, that's exactly what it means. Most people in that day had a a little bit of a a different meaning for that word justified. You know, it wasn't as theological as Paul used it. The word justified can mean several different things, even in English. One of the meanings it can mean is to demonstrate or prove. So you might hear this. It's like the sprinter justified his existence with his world record time. It's like, I'm proving something. I'm demonstrating some value. I'm demonstrating some worth. Now, here's what James is saying. James is saying the works proved the faith. I just thought of a way to say it better. Okay, sometimes this happens as a teacher. You just think of things as you're going. The works justified the trueness of the faith. That's what's going on in the text. So you, you may have heard it said this way. I think this is a helpful sentence, but not perfect. We're saved by faith but not by the kind of faith that is alone. You're saved by faith. Your faith is going to be justified, shown that it's true, proven, demonstrated by your works. You're saved by faith alone, but never the kind of faith that is alone. Now, let's keep moving on to verse 25. And again, we're not leaving this point. He's just going to keep explaining this point. So I think this will get clearer and clearer for you. Verse 25, we're going to go to example number two. Ooh, I need to pick up the pace. In the same way was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. All right, here's example two of someone who believed something and then that belief found its way out into her actions. Rahab was as far from Abraham as you could possibly get. She was not a patriarch. She wasn't even Hebrew. She was a Gentile. She was a prostitute. She was living in Jericho, 
right before the city fell to the Hebrew people. Rahab had faith in God. She believed he was the one true God. And that belief compelled her to take the side of the Hebrew people so that when the enemy, the Hebrews, came and where they were spying out the land, Rahab the prostitute says, I believe your God's gonna win this victory and, and I need salvation. I'm putting my hope in your God, not in our so-called gods here in Jericho. So she sheltered the spies. She helped them escape. When Jericho fell, she and her family were the only ones to be spared. How beautiful that James moves from Abraham to Rahab. From the patriarch to the prostitute. Both of them had faith. Both of them had works. Now, here's why I love Rahab. Rahab didn't have a lot of works. Okay, her life was a mess. Her life was a wreck, but she had a little bit of faith. That's all she needed. And her faith showed up. Like if she just would have thought in her head, I wonder if the Hebrew God is more powerful than the other, but not actually taking action on that. And if her faith hadn't been expressed through works, she wouldn't have been saved. But it was, and God knew. God knew her faith was genuine. God gave her an opportunity to live that out. God spared her. And you find her all throughout the New Testament. Her story is also in Hebrews 11, the faith hall of fame. So here, once again, James is taking a faith story and showing, oh yeah, that's still a faith story, but there's another side to that faith that I want to acknowledge, and it's faith expressed, i.e. works. Now, some of you in the room, I, I just got to say this really quickly. You know, some of you in the room are going to identify more with Rahab than you will Abraham, maybe all of us in the room to a certain degree. It's like, who, who could claim to be like a great um, a father of faith, a pillar, a patriarch? Who, who of us are gonna claim that? But can you identify with this woman who I'm sure all her life had been beaten down and broken and abused herself and found her way just scrimping by to, to earn a living in, in, in any way that she possibly could? And I'm not saying Rahab was innocent by any means, but she had a story. No doubt she had a story. And yet in that moment, she said, I believe, I believe. Beautiful example. Verse 26, James is gonna bring it all home and he's gonna summarize everything he said before he's ready to move on to chapter three, which is a new topic. Verse 26, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So there's his thesis stated one last time. Uh, interestingly, the word spirit in the Greek can also mean breath. It's the word pneuma, same word for spirit than breath. So probably in this context, James is not talking about the Holy Spirit, which indwells the believers. He's talking about the animating breath of God. You find in Old and New Testaments, the answer to the question, what, who, rather, who gives life? God gives life his breath, his animating breath, the spirit, the breath. So think about if, if you, you weren't sure if someone was dead alive, you can stumble upon someone, you know, like uh, it looks like a corpse, how are you gonna know? Well, we'd say you check for a pulse, right? Or are they breathing? Are they breathing? I remember our first child born, you know, as a new parent, you're just terrified they're just gonna stop breathing. That first night, I was, I'm, I stayed up all night, just like, I was like, really probably didn't have any sleep, you know, so I was delirious, but I was like, oh, God, please help her to keep breathing. Please help her keep breathing. And I doze off and wake up. She's still breathing, you know. Put my little, my cheek next to her. Oh, she's still breathing. 
she has life. You see, how do you know if your faith's alive? Does it, does it have any breath? Does it have any movement? Again, this is not perfection, guys. He's about to say we all stumble. But is there some seed in you of love of God? Are you compelled toward him in any way, shape, or form? Is there some seed in you of love for people? Are you drawn to help them, even unselfishly? That's why we did this exercise for you. Is it hard to give away 10 bucks, 20 bucks, 50 bucks? Not really. Not really. But how is that an exercise in faith? We asked you to pray. So you depend upon the Spirit to lead you as you give this money away. And then listen. And like some of you are like, well, how do I know if God's speaking to me? Right? It's a great question. I'll tell you how it happened for me. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. God brought a couple to my mind. And I'm like, in faith, I'm believing that you brought that couple to my mind. And then to me, he confirmed that when I'm in that store and I'm just coming alive. I'm like, man, this is fun. I haven't had fun shopping in a long time. Why is that? Because I've just been shopping for me, you know? Let me shop for somebody else. Let me dream about a baby that, that, that may be out there somewhere that they, this couple doesn't even know. Let me help make their faith visible through these gifts, you see. Now, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna ask you all to share. And, and again, I know this is hard for some of you. And, and no, I'm not gonna be out there twisting anybody's arm, okay? But, but here's the thing. Some of you this morning, the step of faith that God wants you to take is to share your story. That's the way that you're gonna express your faith this morning. That's the way that you're, the breath that is in you of faith is going to be seen, is going to be heard for the sake of this body. And I wanna remind you, these stories are not about you. This isn't about, oh, let me, let me show what I did because I'm so great. None of these stories are about the person sharing the story. All of these stories are about the Spirit of God who led us, we believe, to take some of the money that you all had given, specifically one particular family that funded this, distribute it out to the body and say, we want them to feel faith and works together. And what an adventure that is. My favorite line from Lloyd's sermon last week, he said this, it seems that God is inviting us to jump into an adventure with him. Some of you had an adventure with God this last week, big or small, and we wanna hear about it. That's all this is. So here's what's gonna happen. In just a second, I'm gonna have you stand up, not yet. We're gonna sing a song. Now, it's not a normal four and a half minute song. It's just a, a verse and a couple choruses. It's short. So as soon as we start singing, everybody will be stood up, stood, standing up. Just come down. Come down front. Everybody who wants to share, just come down front. We've got two microphones on my right, on my left. You'll line up behind that microphone just against the wall. You know, your heart will be like going like this, but it's gonna be okay. It really will. And then you can just share 30 seconds, 45 seconds, a minute, minute and a half. You know, some, just short. You don't have to preach a sermon. Share what God did. And we're gonna answer those two questions. What happened and how did God work in your heart? That's all it is. That's all it is. So let's stand up. Let's stand up together. Let's sing. And if God's leading you to come down, don't wait. As soon as the song starts, just come on down and line up. It's not a long song. Let's sing. Who can count the ways 
that you've been faithful and who can comprehend your greatness one look one thought and my heart is praise in your presence Jesus all I can say is I am grateful grateful that you love me I'm grateful grateful that you saved me I cannot explain it so all I can say is I am grateful grateful that you love me I am grateful grateful that you love me I am grateful grateful that you love me Lord all right you can go ahead and have a seat now, it, it seems to me that the Spirit was giving courage to the left side of our room this morning, all right? We have one. Now, here, here's what can happen. As you start hearing these stories, and we've got about 10 minutes or so in our service to, for this, so hopefully we'll have a chance to get to all of them. I think we will. I think we'll have plenty of time. You can keep coming down, all right? Either side is fine. We're gonna start right over here, and here's what I want you to do is just tell us your name, tell us what happened, how God worked in your heart. And about a year and a half ago, um, our family found ourselves um, in a crisis with one of our children, a medical and mental health crisis. And in the end, we ended up um, having to do an intensive treatment for three months. And it was one of the hardest, hardest, hardest times of our life. And when we got done, we had no way to um, finish paying for treatment and aftercare. And God used people in this body um, to take care of that in a really miraculous way. And um, so right now I'm walking with a family at church that's in, their child is in the same program that my child was in, and um, God immediately brought them to mine um, when I listened to the sermon last week. And so I talked to my family and our community group, and um, so we put our money together, and our community group leaders who walked with us during our trial put their money in, and then my child, who is now living in recovery, gave some of his own money, hmm. um, and we gave some more money, and we're able to give to this family that is about to exit, and I know the costs are overwhelming so I know it's just a drop in the bucket but I gave it to them and the mom said that this will, should be able to cover most of their first month of therapy when they are discharged so I, what God did in my heart is just I'm just blown away by him taking care of us a year and a half ago um, not only being able to walk in recovery but financially and then the fact that we can help another family walk this really, really, really hard journey um, in just the smallest way is just, I'm just blown away that God has done that. 
time. Amen. And hey, before you go, would you tell us your name one more time? We didn't get it. Liesel. Yeah, Liesel. What a beautiful story. Let's, let's praise God. Thank you for sharing. All right, let's come over to this side of the room. I'm Jim Eckert, and uh, my wife is Jean, and we uh, had prayed how we should share uh, the money that we were given, and we both came to uh, the same conclusion that our community group leader um, is just going through a very difficult time with their... Um, 14-year-old daughter and um, health issues and they have extreme bills uh, and we felt that we needed to share with them uh, hopefully an encouragement uh, that we they have been loved us very much and uh, this was a way that we could show love back to them to give them um, just an encouragement check and uh, that God would bless them. Amen. Jim, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Let's come back over. Hi, guys. My name's Katie Pentico, and uh, right after we left church last Sunday, I looked at my husband, and I was like, so what do you think we should do? And he immediately was like, I think you need to text our small group and see if we can maybe do a group gift together. Of course, I didn't do it, didn't do it, didn't do it. And uh, finally on Wednesday, he was like, did you text anybody? I said, no. And so one of our small group uh, leaders texted, um, and uh, I'm a part of the win a Thursday morning Romans women's Bible study, which some of you might be in here. Um, and on Thursday, we had a serve day. And so um, Mandy had texted and said, you know, I feel like the Lord's put it on my heart to, de uh, to dedicate our money to our service day. And so if any of you are interested, you know, bring your money on Thursday. So uh, where we were serving, we were serving at a place called the Safe Room Nashville, uh, which I had never heard of, but it's actually just a quick, just a quick little explanation. That's part of the, a place where the kids that are in DCS, custody, foster care, or waiting to be placed in foster care can come. And they can take a shower, they can have meals, they can just play. Uh, as kids, and so we were going there to kind of sort clothes, clean, all those kind of things, and so I looked at Derek and I said, is, is it okay if I give this to them? And so we took both of our envelopes and gave it to them, and our small group, which is actually in that same Bible study, all came together, and we were able to make a group donation to them, probably, yeah, again, drop in the bucket, um, but what it did on my heart is... Um, you know, I'm a pediatric nurse practitioner, so I'm on the other side of the DCS referrals and um, just hearing their stories and hearing about these kids made it a more personal level for me as I care for them each day, how easily I can get very annoyed and frustrated with their behavior, or with their attitude. And so it really humbled my heart to see and hear about these stories that these kids are going through while they're waiting for placement and foster care. Um, and they have just been through so much. So it was such a great experience to, number one, come together with my, with my tribe um, and to serve, and then also uh, to just allow that to seep into my practice as I go out. Love that. Thank you, Katie. Praise God.
Hi, my name is Charlotte, and this is more about um, not as much as me giving. Um, Monday found out, you know, the Sunday after Monday, I found out that my neighbor had had surgery, and so that was easy. I, you know, knew to take a meal, and so I used that money. And, and just like most of all of this congregation, we love giving. It's fun. It makes our hearts really happy. But I'm not really a gracious, gracious receiver. I always say, no, 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 no. And so Tuesday, we have a little dog who um, also goes to work with me, and, you know, we love her way too much. And she ate some chocolate on Tuesday, and so, and of course, that's really awful, and so we rushed her to the vet, and our vet also goes to church here, and so, you know, she was like, just leave her for a few minutes and go and get coffee and come back, so we did, and I go to pay my bill, and my bill was cut because she had given her donation to me, and so that was like, kind of twofold. I got to give and I got to receive and receiving is just really difficult for me. So God was like, you know, there is a gift in being a gracious receiver. And so that was one of my lessons. Oh my goodness. That's so good. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Renata. This is Rogério, my husband. We're from Brazil and we have arrived in Nashville two, two months ago. Um, and it's been a pleasure being part of um, this congregation. Uh, we received our envelopes last week, and uh, we started praying about it, and we had just come from Brazil the week before, um, and a family visit. Last year, um, my brother was separated from his wife, and it was a huge trial in our family, and uh, God used a um, housekeeper, their housekeeper, to kind of bring them back together, my, my brother and uh, his wife. And uh, this housekeeper um, has really uh, real needs. So we together decided that we would help um, $40. We got, I mean, I got 10 and you got 10, but that in reals, which is our currency, is a lot of money. So we were able to bless um, this housekeeper. And um, it was a pleasure, and uh, she was really happy about it. So. Yes. Thank you, and welcome. Welcome. Hey, listen, this, here's what's cool. We had no idea any of this money was going to go around the world. So thank you for that. That is pretty special. Um, so I'm Cole Barfield. I am a, a physician at the Frisk Clinic um, at Centennial, and I had a, was a really neat opportunity for me because um, oftentimes I don't really see where the Lord can lead me in the practice of medicine outside of physical healing. And um, I have never given money to my patients, and I don't want any of y'all to call my office, but again, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm more than happy to take care of you. Um, but this, uh, this week was really cool because I was praying about it, and I was like, Lord, just be blatantly obvious as to where you'd have me give this money. And um, at Friday at 9.30, kind of oddly, um, I had a patient who, by the end of our, um, our talk, she has diabetes and hypertension and struggles to make ends of meat, and um, she's on welfare and food stamps and um, can't afford all of her medications all the time. But, um, at the end of it, I'm sorry, I do cry a lot. Um, <laughs> 
But at the end of it, uh, she, uh, she said, you know, I, I sometimes have a hard time. And she said, this week I'm going to have to ask my sister um, for money. Uh, I said, well, what for? Medicine or something like that? And she said, no, for groceries. And, uh, sorry. Um, but for me, I have always been so hesitant towards giving money to patients, um, even though I hear their needs. And um, I had such peace knowing that this was a God-ordained time. Um, and so I guess how God worked in my heart was having my eyes open to see and my ears to hear where God would lead me in giving. Amen. So good. Praise God. Praise God. Here's, here's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to have an opportunity to sing that chorus just a couple more times. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. And as we sing that chorus, here's, here's what I want you to know. The Spirit of God is alive and well. And if you put your faith in Jesus, He indwells you. And, and sometimes you're not so sure. It's like, is He there? Is He not there? Taking steps of risk, steps of faith will encourage you in that. And so the stories we've just heard, glory goes to God. So we're going to say we're grateful. We're grateful for what he's done in these stories, in this body, in all kinds of ways, and what he's going to keep doing. So stand to your feet and let's sing this song together. We're grateful. Beyond my wisdom to the wondrous cross to my freedom I am That you love me I'm grateful Grateful That you saved me I cannot explain it So all I can say Is I am Grateful Grateful That you love me I am Grateful Grateful That you love me One thought, oh, one look, one thought, and my heart is praised in your presence, Jesus. All I can say is one look, one look, one thought, and my heart is praised in your presence, Jesus. All I can say is one look.
and my heart is praise. One look, one thought, and my heart is grateful. Amen. I want to just close with this thought. Some of you in the room are still there thinking, you know, I, is, is my faith alive? Is it not? I, I can't point to a whole lot. Here's how I want to encourage you. We've been talking throughout this book of part of what it means to actually have faith is to confess your need. So if you're someone who's at the place of saying, man, I don't know if my faith's alive. I don't know if it's just name only or if it actually is authentic, that I've actually sincerely put my trust in Christ. You have a need. Just go to God with that need. Say, God, I don't even know if I've got faith. Ask him for it. Like, there's no better place to ask God for something than from a place of need. You're willing to own it. You're willing to own it. And then I want to invite you, this is not a forced thing. If any of you have a question about that, want to talk about that anyway, we would love to engage with you in that. Some of you are just carrying a burden of various kinds. And you need someone to pray with you this morning. We're going to have people right up here in my right and my left to pray with anybody who wants prayer for any reason. You can tell as much or little as you want. We would love to pray for you. And, and one last step of faith, if you didn't get a chance to share your story and the Spirit would say, I want to put it on your heart to share your story. There are two cameras out here in our arcade. And you're going to have a chance just to share your story. Because we want to hear your story. We want to know your story. We want to capture these so that we can remember this time in our church's life that we asked God for something and he did something through 2,000 of us. So if you're willing to share your story, just stop at the arcade, one of those two cameras for 30 seconds, 60 seconds and share your story. Amen. Have a great Sunday. Go with God in faith. Amen.